Blessings one and all, and welcome to this week's episode of Journey into Spiritualism. I'm your host, Paul James Caden, and this week we are going to be talking about the Bible in Spiritualism. Do spiritualists read the Bible? What do they believe about it? We established last week in our show, entitled, What is Spiritualism?, that most, if not all, mainstream religion greatly misrepresents the religion of spiritualism. When you walk into a spiritualist church, you don't find it filled with witches, wizards, occult practitioners, or Satan worshipers, but rather you find that spiritualist churches are generally filled with Christians or Christian spiritualists who do believe in God, They believe in Jesus, the angels, and they read the Bible. I would hazard a guess that most people might even be a little shocked to hear that, because someone who claims to communicate with the other side of life or spirits, well, they couldn't possibly be partaking or believe in any way the Christian religion, but in fact, they do. When it comes to the Bible, Spiritualists see it a bit differently than mainstream Christianity. They don't see it as the inerrant, infallible word of God. Because the hand of man has added to or edited out certain things from the original manuscripts. I think the best explanation for how spiritualists view the Bible is again from the book Real Spiritualism, by Thomas E. Williams. And Thomas Williams writes in his book, Spiritualism views the Bible as a book of history, prophecy, and spiritual phenomena. Because it was written by various authors, and it has been edited and translated many times, spiritualism does not consider the Bible to be the infallible word of God as mainstream Christianity teaches but it is a valuable guide to life and for finding solutions to many problems of our time. As a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path, the Bible includes knowledge and truth written by inspired teachers of old. Now, despite the interference of man in the sacred texts, spiritualists believe that 75 to 80 percent of the Bible is accurate. The history, the happenings, the ministry of Jesus and the works that he did, all of these things happened. Many might be surprised to know that spiritualists do view the Bible as a book of history, prophecy, and spiritual phenomena. But what about the other 15 to 20 percent of the Bible that spiritualists believe may have or probably has been corrupted by man in his translations. Well, again, there may be some people that cringe at that thought and say, oh no, that can't possibly be. That's heresy. That's uh, a satanic teaching. You know, these people are wrong. But in actuality, they're not. There have been many words translated a certain way from the Greek and Hebrew 
to fit certain doctrines of the modern church. Verses like 1 John chapter 5, verse 7 that speaks of in heaven there are three that bear witness, the Father, the Word, and the Spirit, and these three are one. This verse does not exist in the original manuscripts of the Bible, but it was added later on by one of the Roman Catholic scribes to try and substantiate the doctrine of the Trinity. Before the Roman Catholic Church was established, there were various ideas among Christians about who Jesus was. Some believed he was a divine spirit manifest on earth to teach us the way back to God. Others believed he was the Son of God. Many believed that he was inferior to the Father, that he was the first created being of the Father, and that the Father was greater than he was. So there were various ideas and philosophies about who and what Jesus actually was in the early Christian communities. It was the Roman Catholic Church who eventually said, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, all are God, all three are one. And the Catholic Church came under fire for this from many directions. And many early Christians said there's nowhere in the scriptures that could substantiate this teaching of three and one, or, you know, three figures being one God. And so this verse in 1 John chapter 5 was added in later by scribes to say, oh no, it is there, and to kind of perpetuate the doctrine of the Trinity that they believed in. We have books like Second Peter, which most scholars agree was not written by Peter at all, but most likely written by one of the scribes of St. Paul. And written and given Peter's name was to again, substantiate and prop up some of Paul's teachings that some of the early churches disagreed with. Second Peter is the epistle of, supposedly of, uh, the Apostle Peter that mentions Paul, that all that he teaches is from God and it is the gospel. And these are just a couple of examples that we know and that we can find out if we do honest study and look at what scholars say about uh, you know, these particular uh, books in the Bible or certain verses, like the last verse of the Gospel of Mark, which states, those who uh, are baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, they'll lay hands on the sick and they'll recover, recover. they'll raise the dead, if they drink any deadly thing, it won't hurt them. They'll be able to handle serpents. Well, this is known as the long ending of the Gospel of Mark. And uh, it doesn't appear in the earliest manuscripts, but again was added later by a scribe or translator of the Gospel of Mark. And later translators just left it in because they said it doesn't really mar the message of the gospel, so it's really doing no harm. But there are some modern translations of the Bible that actually leave the long ending of the gospel of Mark out. But again, this isn't, uh, you know, to make a list of all the problems with the Bible or to tear the Bible down, because that's absolutely not what I'm looking to do here. 
I am a Christian spiritualist. I read the Bible. I take a great deal from it. And most spiritualists believe the same thing. It's a guidebook to tell us how to live and tell us how we might make the transition from this world to the next in a much more godly fashion. And again, some people might hear that and say, well, there's nothing we can do, you know, to merit passing into the next world or heaven or a higher dimension of the spirit world, as spiritualists say. Jesus paid the price for all of our sins, so automatically, you know, just by believing and having faith in him, we automatically go to heaven. And those who don't have a relationship with Jesus, well, they go to the other place where there's weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. However, again, the spiritualists are correct because the early Christians did not teach Jesus paid at all. They taught that Jesus died for our sins, but there's still work for you and I to do in order to determine what our eternal destiny would be. And that those who did not have faith in Christ would be judged by the intent of their hearts and their deeds, this being the divine law. And so if the intent of your heart was always good and loving and your deeds were good, you had a very good chance of still going to heaven even though you did not have faith in Christ. And that is a teaching I talk about in many of my podcasts in the past that have been lost to us, especially here in the, uh, the Western world of Christianity where it's been taught to us that just Jesus paid it all, we don't have to do anything. The early Christians would absolutely look at that and say, it is heresy. You still have to live a good life. You still have to have good deeds. You still have to purge the old man and the ways of the world. And that is something that spiritualists absolutely believe in. And so, again, the Bible being a guidebook to tell us how to do that to have faith in God, to have faith in Christ and what he taught and live our lives accordingly. This is what the Bible is to spiritualists. And why do spiritualists communicate with spirits on the other side? Why do they investigate so much spiritual or what we call paranormal activity to try to substantiate whether these things are true or whether they are not. Because most of these things are found in the Bible. Visitations from angels, miracles, healings, prophecy. Jesus knowing the thoughts of the scribes and the Pharisees before they even spoke and questioned him. Visitations from the so-called dead or those in heaven when Moses and Elijah appeared to Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. Spiritualists take it to heart when Jesus said, the things that I do you will do also and greater things than these. Hence, this is why they call themselves 
Christian spiritualists or spiritualists because they believe as Jesus and the prophets of old had a greater connection with God's spirit world, so can we. And spiritualists also believe that there's a great deal of information, comfort, peace, and guidance that can come from the spirit world, much as it did in the lives of the prophets, the apostles, and even Jesus himself. And spiritualists mostly believe that if we don't have that connection with the spirit world, it's kind of like driving a car with one of the wheels missing, that there's an essential part of our spirituality, an essential part of our connection with God and the gifts and blessings he has given us that is missing in our lives. And I, for one, agree with that 110%. You see, for me, I guess you could say that I've been a spiritualist all of my life. I never looked into spiritualism until later in life, and I found, much like Thomas Williams uh, in his book, Real Spiritualism, that it was not a religion or a philosophy of demons and magic and Satan worship, but rather it was mostly a Christian religion. It was a very loving, peaceful religion people living by the golden rule, and the things that they taught resonated with what I felt in my heart and in my mind all of my life since I was a little child. So it was one of those moments where I looked into the teachings of spiritualism and it reflected back to me kind of what I already knew, what I already believed. And one of those things I always believed is that there is a greater world around us and it does interact with us and it helps us and it guides us and it brings us peace. And I always believed, even when I was a fundamentalist Christian myself, that we don't necessarily need a church or even a book or a holy book to tell us how to live rightly or live pleasing lives to God. Now, the Bible absolutely is an essential book, and I believe, as many spirituals do, that it is uh, pretty much the manual to life. It, it tells us how to live. It tells us how to get from here to there, so to speak. But I didn't actually, I didn't know what the Bible was, never even heard of it, until I was probably eight or nine years old, maybe ten. My family up until a point uh, up to a point in their lives were not religious, so there weren't people reading me Bible bedtime stories or saying nightly prayers with me or telling me about God or Jesus. This came later in my life when my grandparents started to talk to me and my older brother about these kind of things. But up to that point, I didn't know anything. But yet, I always had this feeling since I was all my life. I can remember being three years old, you know, the baby in the crib. If you've listened to my uh, podcasts in the past or read my book, An Angel Came Down, 
that I explain I have memories going all the way back, you know, snapshots of life, feeling like there was this presence around me, this greater presence that loved me and was protecting me and always watching over me. And as I got older and I learned how to talk and form words and sentences, I would talk to this presence. I would tell it if I was feeling sick, feeling sad, if, you know, I wanted a new toy or, you know, whatever the case may be, I would just talk to it like it was a friend. And then, of course, there was the manifestation of spirits very early in my life. And some of you may have heard this story before in my other podcasts, but for those who are new to the channel, new to the show new listening to me. I remember when I was about three years old and uh, it was Christmas Eve. We lived in a house, me and my, you know, mother, father and brother. And it was just maybe a 30 second walk down a little driveway was another house and my grandparents lived there. So we lived very close to my grandparents. So we were down at my grandparents' house on Christmas Eve. My mother and my grandmother were making the, you know, the cookies and the pies for Christmas dinner. The, you know, the next day that was family tradition as long as my grandparents were alive. The desserts were always made on Christmas Eve and we decorated the cookies and it was a big thing. And I remember sitting on my grandmother's couch and I remember, you know, I was tired, I was getting a little sleepy. My father wasn't there, and I kept asking, where's daddy, where's daddy? And my mother kept telling me, he's at work, he's work, he's at work, he'll be here pretty soon. And finally he came in, and he was talking to my grandparents and my mother for a while. And uh, my mother asked him if he would take me up to the house and put me to bed. You know, it was getting kind of late, I was tired, and she would be up in a few minutes. So my father got me up, you know, put my coat on and he picked me up and he was carrying me carrying me up the little driveway to our house and I remember when we stepped outside there were these brilliant Christmas lights everywhere I mean the whole little area the yards was just lit up with light up candy canes and Santa Clauses and Candles seemed, as I recall, lining the path up to the doorway of our home. And over to the right was this old-fashioned, what do you call it, a street lamp. The kind that they would put a candle or a kerosene lamp in. And it was burning with, I don't know whether it was a candle or a kerosene lamp, but there was definitely something lit in uh, the lamp. And there was a the green garland going around the lampstand with a big red bow on it. And that lampstand was never there. That street lamp was never there. There was no such thing on the property. And I remember looking over my father's shoulder at all these lights and thinking, wow, you know, this must have been, you know, where daddy was at work. He was putting all this outside, you know, wow, look at this. And suddenly from next to the lampstand or the streetlight, out of the shadow steps this woman. I've never seen her before. We didn't have any neighbors that would be, you know, around the property at that time. The neighbors were down the road. And she looks at me and smiles and says, 
Merry Christmas. And I'm looking at her. Do I know her? I don't know her. She doesn't look familiar. My father doesn't answer her, doesn't even acknowledge her, just walks right by her, carries me up to the front door, and I'm looking in this woman standing by this old street lamp, you know, smiling at me. And, you know, the next day, all those Christmas lights were gone. They weren't there. And I remember asking my parents in my 20s and 30s, you know, up until my mother passed away, I'd ask periodically, when we lived in that little greenhouse, did you guys ever put all these elaborate decorations outside for Christmas? And they always said, no, we didn't have anything like that. Back in those days, you know, this was, uh, what, early 70s? You know, all, all we had for decorations basically was a Christmas tree. There was, you know, nothing else in the house. And so that was the first of many uh, spirit manifestations in my life. And these spirits, you know, whether they were angels, whether they were some other kind of high spirits from God, they didn't at first, it wasn't until I was about 12 years old that I had an experience where, uh, you know, I had the angel encounter that I wrote about in my book, and, you know, I was spoken to in detail about many things. But these early manifestations of spirits in my life, I just always had that presence, that feeling of love emanating from them. I felt at peace. I didn't feel afraid. I felt loved. Like they were my friends. They, they were there for me. They didn't mean me any harm. And I remember being a little kid when I would go to bed at night. Uh, there was always this shadowy figure that would sit at the foot of the bed. And I always felt that figure was watching over me, protecting me, and keeping me safe during the night. I never felt afraid. I never felt like there was a ghost or a monster in the room. I felt comforted by the presence I felt in my room. And so these spirits never spoke to me, but I felt the love, I felt the peace, and I grew up, before I even knew what the Bible was or what, re what religion was, with this notion that there is another world where love is everything and everyone loves one another and treats one another with love and respect and with kindness. And I knew somehow deep in my heart that that's the way we, we were supposed to treat one another here. And that we had it all wrong. Back when I was a little kid and my father would drink too much and argue with my mother and act up, I would think to myself, we're not supposed to act that way. When my older brother would, you know, do terrible big brother things to me when we were kids, you know, I would think to myself, why, why is he doing that for we're not supposed to act that way. We're not supposed to treat one another like that. When I started school in kindergarten, right off the bat, I ran into bullies and teachers who were not so very nice to us kids. And other kids would fight and swear at one another and swear at the teachers and call them names that they shouldn't have even known at that age. And I knew a lot of those curse words. 
My parents swore, especially my father, my uncles did. I knew all the words, I knew all the lingo, but I never entered into that kind of thing because that's not the way we're supposed to act. We're supposed to be peaceful and loving and calm and nice to one another. And so I never acted up, I never acted out. And if my mother were alive today, I could bring her on this show and, and ask her, what, what kind of a kid was I? Was I was I a bratty kid? Was I a troublesome kid that I make a lot of noise? Was I always, you know, into things? And she would she would affirm, No, you were you were you know, you were a very good kid. You were always quiet, polite, you didn't touch anything you weren't supposed to, you listened when you were told something. Because I just had that feeling from those spirits, from that presence around me, that this is the way I was supposed to be. This is the way I was supposed to act. We were all supposed to be this way, and I didn't understand why we weren't. And so, like I said, later on in life, when my grandmother, you know, and my grandfather started to talk to me and my brother about, you know, this, you know, God and Jesus. And I remember thinking, oh, God, that must be who I feel all around me all the time. And where these, you know, maybe where some of these uh, people come from, you know, that that uh, nobody else sees. And so that's why in my personal life. And I've always said for years, yes, the Bible is a wonderful book. It's a guidebook to life. Thank God for the Bible. But we also need relationship. Because without relationship with God, and we rely just on the text, the book, the written word, the written law, we have nothing but religious legalism. And I think that's why there's so much religion these days, and especially in Christianity where, you know, there's division and they're always downing other people, you know, the religion, what they believe, you know, there's violence. We, We see so many people that say they're Christians, you know, just acting terribly, hatefully, swearing, cursing, condemning others to hell and and my spirit just goes, oh, how, how can they do that? And it's because I believe they, they have the word, but they lack the relationship. You know, if you don't have that, you know, you'll hear people say, well, I have a personal relationship with God because I'm saved. Well, do you have a personal relationship or do you have that legalistic relationship based on religion and, you know, uh, the written law, how they interpret it. But this is why I've always said, and I caught a lot of flack for this when I was, you know, an evangelical Christian, and I would, you know, tell other Christians this kind of thing. I've said it on this podcast. I said it all my life, through the 80s, through the 90s, before there was a YouTube and an Internet And I would go to churches and I would say, yeah, all this is great and all this is needed, but we also need that real personal connection with God, you know, and with Christ that goes beyond all of this. And people would say, oh my God, what do you mean beyond? There is nothing beyond all this. If you go beyond all this, you're getting into the territory of demons and the devil. You better be careful. 
But yet here I was, a little kid that never heard of Jesus, never heard of the Bible, never stepped foot in a church, didn't even know what religion was up to a point. And here are these presences, these these spirit manifestations, all kind of nudging me in this direction somehow of love and peace and respect and being kind to others. Is that something a demon would do? Is that something a devil would do? And then years later, probably when I was about 18 years old, I I started reading the Bible for the first time myself and reading the words of Jesus and going, yes, I knew these things too. This is the impression I got from the, you know, the, you know, the, the spirits back in the day. Yeah, it, it, it resonates. Is that something that demons and devils would do? I would say absolutely not. And anybody who tries to put it in that category, well, you know, I, I, I think that's just really painting with a, a, a large brush of superstition and legalism and denominationalism because it goes beyond what people can understand. But that's the relationship. That's the relationship aspect of it. Jesus had the perfect relationship with his father, but did angels come and minister to him? On various occasions, yes, they did. Did Moses and Elijah appear to him on the Mount of Transfiguration? Yes, they did. Peter was an apostle of Jesus. There's nobody that probably had a better relationship than Jesus that he did, but did an angel come and open the prison door and let him out at night? Yes, it did. And we see these angelic visitations, these supernatural happenings in the lives of Jesus and the apostles. And no one there was ever saying, oh, maybe it was the devil that let Peter out of jail because, you know, was trying to deceive him and, you know, tear him away from Jesus. Nobody ever even imagined to think that kind of thing. It was all part of the relationship and the benefits and the blessings of God when you have faith in him and step over into his kingdom, his world. Doesn't the Bible say that all of God's angels are ministering spirits sent to minister to those who are to inherit salvation? There are ministering spirits all around us. An angel only means messenger. So an angel, a messenger, can be a celestial being. This is what spiritualists believe, and this is what I also believe. An angel or a messenger of God can be a celestial being that never had a life on planet Earth. One of the direct creations of God, the angels. Or an angel, a messenger, could be perhaps an advanced spirit of a human being whose job is to minister to those on the earth and help bring them closer to God and to overcome trials. The Catholic Church teaches the communion of saints, and this is not a Catholic idea. The early Christians also believed that the spirits of the dead, the righteous dead, those in heaven, could pray for us, 
They could minister to, to us, and they could help us in ways that we might not understand from heaven. They believed our work wasn't done when we left this earth, that we weren't separated from those who passed on into the great beyond. They still had work to do there, and some of them had work to do here. They would help us. They would minister to us as God's ministering spirits, along with the angels. But we miss out on all of these blessings and miracles because of religious legalism, sticking only to the letter and the law, and not going beyond these doctrines of men to just have a real connection with God. And so again, I say all that to say this, you know, I was brought to a place very early in life to basically live by the golden rule, to respect others, to love others, to not hurt others, to not do things that are terrible to others or call other kids names or look down on other people or other kids when I was very young because they were poor and maybe they weren't very clean, they didn't dress very well. My thing was to be nice to everybody, be respectful and kind to everybody. And that was something, again, that was brought to me by, you know, this uh, spirit connection, spirit presences in my life when I was just a little kid. And that was part of my early relationship with God. And so, yes, the Bible and all of that is very important, as spiritualists believe. But there's also many other things that are written in the Bible that many religious people aren't really uh, taking full advantage of when it comes to the blessings and the love and the gifts of God and what he has given us if we have faith and if we turn to him and look to live a life that is pleasing to him. Now, spiritualists will never condemn anybody for their beliefs, and neither do I. That's just something I've never done. There are spiritualists who have a more mainstream Christian view of God and of Jesus, and that's fine. There are those who have uh, a little bit more of a liberal take on the Bible and God and Jesus, and that's fine. So whether someone is Christian, Buddhist, Muslim, more fundamentalist, evangelical, spiritualists believe that every person is different, every soul is, is at a different level, and everyone is in the particular re religion or spiritual path that they need to be on right now to mature their soul and get them, you know, grow closer to God. So they welcome all and condemn none. So in this podcast, uh, I want that to be understood. I'm not downing anybody or saying, oh, these people are so wrong or so terrible. I'm just merely saying what I've always said uh, since the 1980s, since I was old enough to understand a greater concept of God and read the Bible and pray and learn about these things. And that message is, there is something beyond the doctrines of men, and it is relationship 
with God. And that relationship will take you to such wonderful places and bring such love and peace into your life. And I always say when you experience that divine love in that way, even if there's not a word said to you, you just experience that love of God or stand in the presence of an angel and you feel that love of heaven just rushing over you and through you in that peace, the unconditional love. You don't ever walk away from that saying, well, I'm going to go tell people that if they don't believe like I do, they're going to hell. You never walk away from that experience condemning others, hating others, putting others down because they don't believe what you believe or didn't experience what you experienced. There's only one thing you walk away with when you experience that kind of love from God or from an angel which is still the love of God coming through the angel. It's a celestial being. It's God's servant. God speaks through that servant. His love comes through that servant, through that messenger. And when you experience that, there's only one thing you walk away from that experience with. And that is feeling that kind of love. Your inner, your inner candle is lit, brother and sister. And when you walk away from that experience, you want only one thing, and that's for everybody you meet to feel that kind of love as well. Because you know it will change their life. It's an experience that would change the world. If everybody could stand in the presence of that kind of love for one minute, and God knows if they could stand in it for five minutes, this whole world would change. Because it revolutionizes everything in your life. How you think, how you act, how you see others, how you see this world, how you see what's happening in this world. And that is the only thing you want. It's for everybody else to experience that love that you experienced. And you don't hate and you don't condemn and you don't put yourself above others. I have some great sacred truth that you don't. Ha ha, look at me. I'm a master and a guru now. I'm some special servant of God. Nope. The ego doesn't come in like that. You only walk away from that going, oh my God. That was so beautiful. Everybody needs to feel that. Everybody needs to experience that. That was the most wonderful thing I've ever felt in my life. And that's why I make these podcasts. For the many or the few that will listen, I hope each and every one of you will get beyond the doctrines of religion and experience that love because then you look back and you say, wow. How much were we missing trying to piece it all together in our man-made religions. And I mean, thank God for the man-made religions. They're a great starting ground. But we can't be so legalistic with that type of thing because then we cut off and drown the relationship. So folks, as I always say, I hope you got something out of this show this week. 
I hope it brought you some peace, some insight, and maybe a little light into your lives. And I hope you'll think about these things. And I hope that you'll go on a quest of your own to experience that kind of love in your life that will change everything because it is so worth it. And that's what this journey into spiritualism is all about. Not just learning about the religion of spiritualism, but eventually getting into things that hopefully will be a compass or, uh, you know, taking a couple steps for people to experience that kind of love and relationship in their lives. I mean, wow, we really live in a time where people could use that kind of love and peace. The world's coming apart at the seams. Man doesn't have the answers, and apparently religion doesn't have the answers because all religion can think of is get involved with government and reshape everything according to our religious views and our political views and everybody else is oppressed. None of these people have the answer. Only God is the answer. And when you experience his love and his peace, you have the answer. If nobody else does, you have that love, you have that peace, you have that answer, and you know you're okay and you're going to be okay. And I don't know why I said that, but I'm kind of just got that little chill, that impression that came out of my mouth because maybe there's uh, a couple people listening that need to hear that right now. But uh, if you're one of them, man, God bless. And I hope everybody got a little something out of this show this week. Thank you for listening. I'll see you next week here on Journey into Spiritualism. Until then, stay in love and stay in the light. God bless.